Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to this week's episode of Blue Murder Club. My name is Carrie and I'm your host. How are you doing? And I'm accompanied today by my fellow hostess. Lauren, hello, hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Lauren. How are you? Chilling, relaxing, living my best life. <laughs> yeah, so we've been doing the pod for about what, over a year now, haven't we? Yep. And we don't find the studio that we usually use very comfortable because it's like a bar setting, it's got bar yeah. stalls. And it's a boys setting, it's not a girls setting. You usually struggle with the stall <laughs> <laughs> dropping down. <laughs> One time we recorded, my ass was so sweaty, oh, I yeah. slipped off the stall. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That was a very hot day. Sweaty so, ass, yeah. Lauren. <laughs> So yeah, so we decided to move to a different studio. Yeah, now, haven't we? It's a nice, clean, oh, fresh. So nice. We've got it's a little so candle nice. burning, lavender it's smell. Beautiful. It's a lot better, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, hopefully it will produce a better quality podcast for you listeners. Well, fingers crossed. I'm so yeah. chilled. I'm going to fall off this chair. <laughs> Miracles may happen, but the chairs are more comfy, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They are. And the air is cleaner. Yeah. <laughs> so there won't be as much There's coughing and spluttering and sneezing. <laughs> There's no boy smell. No, exactly. No boy smell. So yeah, this is a girly room. It is. So yeah, we're good, good, didn't we? Yeah, I'm loving it. I'm loving yeah. it. Yeah, excellent. What's your week been like? I can't really remember. One of the no. weeks for blunt. One of the weeks. I one know. of the weeks. One of the years. <laughs> one in all the blurred weeks, together. Yeah. yeah. I know. I'm all right. Just had a good. Yeah. Just one of them. Just normal weeks. Really. Yeah. Nothing to write home about. To be honest, yourself. Yeah. Same old. Same old. To be fair. Yeah. 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 So. Um, yeah, so, well, we're filming, we're recording now in October, aren't we? But I don't mm-hmm. think this episode's going out probably until maybe November time. Wow, so we might be frozen by them. Yeah, exactly. And you know how miserable I am frozen. <laughs> but as we are at the moment, I'm in literally like full steam ahead to Halloween. Yes. Can't wait. It's oh, our favourite time of year, isn't it? It is. I've got a Halloween goblet mm. thing. <laughs> That I'm drinking from. Yeah, you've got like a... You always come around with your Starbucks sort of like straw mm-hmm. container. I don't know what it's called. I like it because no spiders can get in but it. But this time you've got a Halloween one. Halloween one. It's very and Tim Burton actually. Yes. And I was given pumpkin earrings which I've been wearing so far for the last two weeks. Oh, wow. That's good. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Full steam head. Yeah. Trick or treat, babe. Trick or treat. So here we are. Series 6, episode 4. And today's episode, we're covering, um, it. well, obviously, the series is called Bloody Britain, isn't it? Yep. And the episode we're 
doing today is called Robert Maudsley, the real life Hannibal Lecter, or you had a couple of extra um, nicknames <laughs> for him, didn't you? Yeah, I've written AKA the brain eater or AKA spoons. Oh, <laughs> Spoonie <Uncle> Joe. <laughs> Spoony Bob. Spoony Bob. Yeah. But I had to ask you, you've got the info later coming up, I'm guessing. Why why spoons? (laughs) Oh, yeah, you'll find out later on why he's called spoons. um, Spoons. Yeah, I thought he had a bit of a spoon head as well, actually. He does. And he does, to be fair, look quite menacing, I thought. I think think all the pics I've seen of him were from the 70s. He just looks like a typical 70s bloke. Do you think? You know, like in the 70s, footballers and all that. They yeah, just had they that had look. Look about them. Yeah, no, I know exactly. Straggly what you mean. hair and bad teeth. Yeah. 70s. I know what you mean. Proper 70s, yeah. 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 So, yeah, Robert Maudsley. Um, we picked this one, didn't we? Because he's been recently been in the news. And I think I was just like mm-hmm. reading the news a few weeks ago. And I read the headline and it really captured my imagination because it said. He was Britain's longest-serving prisoner in solitary confinement. And personally, I was like, wow, that sounds like a torturous thing to do to a person. No matter yeah. what they've done, I don't think anyone deserves that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we stuck him on the list, didn't we? We thought we'd do him. Yeah. And I must admit, I do feel really sorry for him. Do I you? Do. I do. Um, I think there's much worse criminals that get treated much nicer. I agree. And I read somewhere... That someone said if he was Russian or American, he would have been given like a silver cross medal and mm. been honoured as a like yeah, yeah. a great guy. And praised and praised for his murders. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But well, we'll yeah. get into that later, I yeah. expect. Yeah, we will do. But yeah. yeah, I did I tried not to, but I did really feel for him. No, I do. I do. But um I know you shouldn't feel for feel for multiple murders, but We'll see what you think, listener, by the end, mm. if you agree. He's just so yeah. tragic and his whole life from beginning to end has just been a long tragedy, really. It has. It has. I'm singing steps in my head. Sorry. Pardon? I'm singing steps in my head. Tragedy! Oh. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> right, should we get going? Yeah, let's let's get going on the story tale of Robert Maudsley. Robert Maudsley. He shares a birthday with my husband. What's his birthday? 26th of June, 1953. A oh, guy called George. Can- is it cancer? Yeah, cancer. Yeah, yeah, and they're quite um, crabby, emotional. <laughs> I ain't crabby. I like that one. <laughs> yeah, they are very crabby. <laughs> Don't. So, a guy called George and a lady called Jean give birth to a Robert Maudsley in Speak in Liverpool. They were of lower class. George was a Coleman. Yeah. And I've got a friend whose surname is Coleman, so I find that quite... Like mustard. Yeah, mm. Cole, yes. Coleman's mustard. Yeah, and it just basically meant he traded in coal. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I think all like houses were heated by coal back Cole, then. Yeah. yeah. it was big business, yeah. wasn't it, coal? They already had three other bo- the children, two boys, Kevin and Paul, and a girl called Brenda. When Robert was six months old... Along with these three siblings, they were placed into care in Nazareth's house in Crosby, Liverpool, due to child neglect. The four kids spent most of their childhood at the Roman Catholic Centre run by nuns. Robert says these were the happiest of memories. He got really close to his siblings and the nuns. And at the age of nine, one of Robert's older brothers was going through the adoption programme, so um, progress. So a couple would come up and just immediately fell in love with one of Robert's older brothers and wanted to adopt him 
the parents get wind of this and think, no, that ain't happening. Like, we're not having this. So um, they turn up one day and collect them and basically plead with the council to say, we're fit parents, we can do this, we don't want him to be adopted, and claim the children. So Robert said he was really shocked by this, um, he, as he even thought they were dead, and obviously he hasn't seen them from six months old. The kids thought they were genuine orphans, yeah, so they yeah. were really shocked that they had dead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, surprised they must have felt. Exactly, that's what I thought. You yeah. haven't seen them, like you're six months old, you've got no memory of them at all. Orphanage yeah, exactly. for orphans. orphans. Exactly. <laughs> and I thought it was quite unusual as well that his happiest memories was living in an orphanage. With nuns. Because evil them bastards can I be. I mean, our shit must have his home and people yeah. think that. But it sounds like, I suppose not all children's homes and orphanages are no. horrific places of abuse. There must be some good ones. It sounds like they had this good... This was, yeah. yeah Fingers crossed. There, yeah. yeah, Fingers crossed. So he got even more of a shock when he got home and saw that they had another child by then. So this um, had devastating effect on him taken from a safe haven and back into the arms of these fuckers over it. They were placed back in the family home under the care of the local council. So basically, the council was saying, yeah, you can take them home, but we're keeping a video eye on you. So it's unsure why, but the three older boys were subject to the torrent of abuse by their father, especially like their parents, especially their father. They didn't have any beds and would sleep on the floor. George would make the boys go out stealing lead from roofs and if they got caught, he would beat them. After such religious upbringing by the nuns, stealing was a demonation, you know? Like, they've been brought up really religious and now they're going to ask to steal. Mm. He's like, damned if he do, damned if he don't. Mm. If In that kind of sense. Do you know what I mean? It's going through something that he's been brought up to believe. Um... And it's illegal. Yeah, oh, and it's illegal. There is that. There is that. So um, this is where Robert's mental health just starts to suffer and he starts getting chipped away at. Robert says it was just the old fella who hit us with his fists, his belt, and sometimes with a stick. But my ma instigated it. I was once locked in a room for six months and my father only opened the door to beat me four four to six times a day. It's here where Robert accuses George of sexual abuse too, when he's locked in this room. His mother would tell George that of any little thing the boys did wrong, even getting in late from school, and which one of the boys would get a beating. Robert once says that he bust a, not, um, sorry, what's that? Point twenty two air rifle over my back. I don't know guns. I'm sorry. <laughs> Within twelve months of moving back in with his parents. Um, six of them were locked away in their room. The social services removed Robert, but only Robert, which I thought was quite weird. Why move just one child? Do you think he was getting the brunt of the abuse? That's what I read. Robert yeah. did get the brunt of the abuse. Mm. Well, the two boys, Paul and the other one, Peter, was it? Kevin. Kevin. I don't know where Peter come from. <laughs> um, yeah, they said they also got abused, mm. so I don't know. Yeah, they all did, but I think they all <clears> agreed that he got the yeah he got the worst punishment because yeah. he was the youngest. Oh, the reason that is, yeah, God knows. I think he's just one of these poor tragic figures that's just yeah. born, just born to be abused. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God he's just one him. of the one. He's just like a born victim. Yeah, poor little soul. Love him. 
So, yeah, he was removed from the care of George and Jean and was placed in the care of um, foster parents, being pushed from pillar to post, moved from more to more strangers, while his parents go on to have seven children. That's right, 12 in total. Take care of the ones you've got (laughs) before you fucking open your legs and have more. (laughs) Right or wrong? Yeah, as I know, it's mad. 12 kids. 12 kids, are you joking me? I was crammed into that house. Yeah, and they can't look after the ones. That's what's yeah. enraging me about these two. Sorry, I'm getting mad. Oh, Brave. It's stupid. Yeah. George took great pleasure in telling the rest of the siblings that Robert had passed away. So, again, I think that's some sort of abuse. Like, mm. yeah, you loved Robert, yeah, he's dead. Do <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Oh, definitely, yeah. Why would you say that? No, no, to your nasty kids? piece of shit. Oh, your brother's dead. Yeah. So, from the age of 10 to 16, Robert lived with different foster parents, and as soon as he could, he ran away. At some point, he gets arrested for theft and burglary, but runs away again, and it was in the late 60s, and London was a place to go. It was happening in the land of plenty. So, this is where Robert ends up. So, you can imagine, at that point, London's like hippy-dippy. It's got, um, it's seen as a, I don't know, a bit like LA kind of thing as well, isn't it? It's a bit money. You can make like you can make money there. You can mm. do what you need to do. Dreams are made there. People always attracted to the big yeah. city, aren't they? Oh, 100%. 100%. So it was here in London where Robert picked up a drug habit and he used sex work to maintain the habit. He was still so young and a target for local predators. Robert's mental health is declining as he attempts suicide twice by swallowing loads of pills. He was desperate and started to build a hatred of men taking advantage of him. He gets sectioned in a psych world a few times from the ages of 16 to 20. He said he heard voices in his head to kill his parents. So that's what he's told one of the guys he's having treatment from. And then over this time, it's I don't know if it's deemed that he feels like he's not getting anything from having these meetings anymore or that there's, there's nothing they can do for him anymore. Mm-hmm. But these voices are starting to echo a bit louder and louder. So, yeah, over to you. So he's in London, he's got a drag habit and he's Living in sex off. work. Yeah. 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 I think as well, while like he made friends with somebody who was there and that person actually sexually assaulted him. So I think one of his friends, like somebody he trusted, yeah. uh, did like rape him, I think. That's that's yeah. I've read that in a couple of sources. Um yes, so while he was living in London in late nineteen seventy three, so autumn time in nineteen seventy three, and working as a male escort, he met, met a builder called John Farrell, aged thirty. Farrell lived in the Woodgreen suburb of London and was recently divorced. He wasn't interested in paying for an escort, but more of the two of them embarking on a casual relationship. Um, Robert would have jumped at this chance of some stability with the older man and to get off the street, even if it was just temporarily. With Farrell, Robert would have some stability in his life. Each time they met, they would meet somewhere in the city and then they'd make their way to the house in Wood Green. Um, Robert would usually use drugs during their nights together. Um, Around six months into their relationship, Farrell announced that he had a surprise for Robert. As usual, Robert was at this time under the influence of something or another. Um, Farrell wanted to let Robert in on a secret and was hoping to spice things up. He excitedly pulled out a stack of photos and showed them to Robert. 
As Robert's brain struggled to comprehend what he was looking at, he was horrified to see the photos were of children being abused. Feeling all pleased with himself, Farrell grinned and asked Robert if he liked what he saw. Robert did not and he was disgusted by what he saw and he felt betrayed by someone that he had come to trust. Farrell had turned out to be yet another abuser, just like his parents. Instantly, his childhood trauma and memories came flooding back and the simmering fury he felt towards his parents finally exploded out of him. The voices in his head were coming through loud and clear by now, ordering him to take revenge and kill. He wanted justice for the children in the photos and for his younger self. So what he did was he strangled Farrell with a length of fabric until he was either dead or unconscious. But his blood his blood was up, it didn't satisfy him. So in a fury, he pulled out his penknife that he had in his pocket and stabbed the body multiple times. This still didn't satisfy his rage, so he found a hammer and he smashed in Farrell's skull. And I know that, um, Lauren, you said that you managed to track down the tapes when he was talking yeah. to the psychiatrist while he was in prison. So would you mind giving us a bit of an insight into what was yeah, happening sure. in his head at that point? Yeah, he sure. talks about it, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, basically, he's he's um, he says at about the age of 21, he starts, at, he says, it was a Monday and I go into the West End with a knife with the intention of hurting someone. So that little voice, what I was just telling you about him wanting to hurt his parents that's just scrapped from hurting parents now to hurting someone so he had that pen knife in his hand and he's just got this feeling that he wants to hurt someone he wants to hurt someone he's comes up onto john and obviously as you said they've gone home and then he said he's he's thinking i want to hurt someone i want to hurt someone and it's constantly ticking over in his head John manages him to calm him down. He's taking drugs. He makes him a cup of tea. They have sex. They fall asleep. He wakes up, Robert. And he, he said, like, the voices settle. And then all of a sudden, when he wakes up, the voices come to full force. And he's saying he's trying to ignore it. He hides the knife because he knows now that that voice is getting louder and louder. Um, so he, he wanted to kill before he even knew he was a He pedo. wants to hurt someone, yeah. That's what he's saying mm. in his police thing. So it's a bit like premeditated in a way. Yeah. Oh. I know. So would he have still killed him if he hadn't showed him those photos? I don't know. He mm. wants to hurt someone. He doesn't say John at all. So first it was, I want to hurt oh, my right. parents. Mm. Now it's, I want to hurt someone. Yeah. So that parents has been swiped over by someone, but it's not. I don't think he's ever thought, "I want to hurt John. I want to hurt John." Yeah, because they've just been together a feeling. long time yeah. by that point, haven't they? So yeah. it sounds like that just triggered it. Yeah, it did. Yeah, and I think John going over to him, showing him these pictures. That's what I mean by just triggered. made. Yeah, yeah, just just snapped. Yeah, and he says, okay. "There's one more bit. I just want to say to you, sorry, my lovely." So he says, all the while he was hitting and stabbing him, mm. he just kept looking at him. And he says, he, all we kept saying was, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and we're apologising, Kaz. Because no. he knew by that time, but he just couldn't stop. He states that all he remembers is John's face and him telling him he's sorry over and over. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really sad. Um, he says he puts the knife in a sheet and goes and washes himself off. Yeah. Love him. And then he walked out. He handed himself into Woodgrain Police. But he takes a five first for drugs. <laughs> yeah, he's a druggie. Yeah, I thought. Druggie there mm. through and through, did yeah. you? 
Yeah, so he handed himself over to Wood Green Police saying he'd just killed a man and that he needed, he desperately needed psychiatric help. Mm-hmm. He told the police everything and when the officers investigated, they discovered the scene exactly as Robert had described. After Robert's arrest, the courts consulted with psychiatrists to decide whether he was fit to stand trial for murder and it was decided in 1974 that the 21-year-old was unfit to stand trial and he was sentenced to life in Broadmoor Psychiatric Hospital for the criminally insane which housed some of the country's most dangerous men with the recommendation he should never be released. This was not what Robert needed and it would transpire that Robert didn't receive the treatment he so desperately needed. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. did. So even though Broadmoor was classed not as a prison but a psychiatric like mm-hmm. you know facility it isn't really there's no funding and stuff especially back in the 70s yeah fucking 70s eh? it's horrible isn't it yeah it's just annoying because this poor bloke clearly needs help how many times does he have to ask for help that's what i was he's thinking. warned them so many times mm-hmm. that this was going to happen mm-hmm. and no one done anything about it yeah it's it's really really infuriating it's so frustrating i mean if he'd have come from a family that cared about him, they could have mm-hmm. probably paid for the proper care for him. But he's on his own. He's a youngster. He doesn't have any support systems, does he's he? He's got nothing now. <clears throat> no. So there was little to no psychiatric treatment here and overcrowding was a big problem in, in this psychiatric hospital mm-hmm. for the criminally insane Broadmoor. Um, Rumours persisted about physical and sexual abuse among the inmates and staff and it was in this environment that Robert's aggression grew. Um, For several years, he kept himself out of trouble, but things were about to get worse. Robert and another inmate, 33-year-old David Cheeseman, conspired to hold a third prisoner, a convicted paedophile, 
um, 26-year-old David Francis hostage. The two men had become friendly and figured their best way out of Broadmoor was to kill again. So it seems like they're trying to plan. So they prepared. Yeah. They, they made a plan. They thought, oh, we need to get out of here. Let's kill someone and then they'll put us in a normal prison because right. that might be better than Broadmoor. So what they did, they prepared for it by fashioning a shiv out of some spoons. Spoony. This is the spoon yep. element of the storyline. So, <coughs> a shiv, have you heard that word before? Yep. Yeah, so it's like a homemade knife that usually you found in prisons. <laughs> um, on the morning of the 26th of February 1977, Broadmoor patients were playing football out in the prison exercise yard. After the game, before David Francis could react, they held a knife to his neck and barricaded themselves into a storeroom, slamming the door shut behind them. They used furniture to barricade the door and they tied David Francis to a chair using the cable from a record player. Bear in mind, this is a convicted pedo. Yeah. So let's not feel too bad. I mean, no, obviously, no one, no one deserves to and I'm not saying that, but this man is a convicted child molester. Yeah. You know what I'm thinking from the two fellas from the week before? Fucking Everton. Who's that again? Daniel Henley's two killers. Mm, yeah. Yeah, Everton. Have them. Yeah. Waste of space, isn't yep. they? Yep. <laughs> um, 100%. <clears throat> Their demands of seeing a psychiatrist were denied, so they've literally got this hostage and they are demanding they want to see a psychiatrist. But the powers that be say it's far too dangerous to put another person in that room with you. You're not going to take another hostage. Yeah. If, we, if, we, if we go, yeah, here you go, have this psychiatrist, you're going to take, take him hostage him, yeah. as well. So it was denied. So they turned their attention to the captive, um, kicking him in the stomach while the prison staff tried to break in. When they threatened to kill Francis, the prison staff stopped trying to break in. So they were like, if you don't stop trying to break in, we are going to kill him. So they stopped. So all they could do was literally just stand there and all, and the whole prison could hear Francis's agonised screams. Oh, no. They could be heard all over the prison while not one thing could be done about it. And in what has gone down as one of the most infamous incidents in British prison law, they tortured him for nine hours. Wow. They kicked him, they stabbed him, they smashed his head against the wall. And they eventually strangled him to death. Anyway, and then apparently Robert picked the dead body up and held it up to the window to show that he was dead. And so then the siege was over. And according to a guard, when the man was discovered, his head had been cracked open like a boiled egg with a spoon hanging out of it. And at first, it looked like a piece of brain was missing. So the rumour's gone around the prison that someone's eaten a piece of his brain. Um, that's why he got the nickname Spoons and Hannibal the Cannibals. Brain eater. Yeah, brain eater. Um, now, it says it was later, dis- it was later dis- um, discovered... Sorry, this was later disproved, but Mosley's nickname as the real-life Hannibal Lecter stuck. The spoon, what he'd done, he sharpened the spoon into a point and rammed it into his ear. Oh. And obviously when they banged his head against the floor, it cracked over so yeah. it looked like it. Yeah. But I think when the um, coroner checked him over you know when they do like I don't know in Silent Witness where they check the body mm-hmm. and all that mm-hmm. there wasn't a piece of brain missing but it was too late by then the, the rumours yeah gone. the media had got hold of the story he was now known as cannibal so Clarice. there we go <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> exactly <laughs> the pair of them were charged with the murder of David Francis and this time he was strangely enough declared fit to stand trial they both pleaded guilty um, both um, Robert and his friend David Cheeseman yeah. pleaded guilty. The motives they made clear that they had killed out of revenge for the sexual assaults that he had committed. So they were trying to get revenge on the mm-hmm. ch- children that had been victims. Mm-hmm. 
and they wished to be sent to a conventional prison, and Robert was said to have stood up in court and declared if he was sent back to Broadmoor, he would kill again. So he means business. Yeah. He can't stand it there. So the pair of them, they were convicted and they were sentenced to life at Maximum Security Prison, Wakefield, in Yorkshire, which is in the north of England, and it's otherwise known as Monster Mansion. <laughs> it's mad, isn't it? All these wow. weird little prison. We yeah. should do an episode, actually. Maybe we'll do a Patreon on, like, prison lingo and stuff. I oh, know. yeah, I like that. Um, but they're I'll shake your blood. <laughs> I'd say I don't know what I mean. Ain't <laughs> that stab Maybe. Shank? So. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right as it yeah. goes. This was due to the amount of vicious and dangerous inmates. Robert's reputation preceded him and the other inmates and the guards nicknamed him Spoons, <laughs> Cannibal and Brain Sorry. Eater. <laughs> he was serving his time amongst some of the country's worst sex offenders and was surrounded by exactly the sort of people who had triggered the murderous voices in his head. What they're thinking sending him here, I don't know. No, I don't. I mean, they know. He's told them he couldn't be clearer what's triggered that violent... Both both murders. Yeah, paedophiles. Yeah. yeah. I think I think nowadays they segregate the sex offenders, don't they? They put yeah. them all together so that the non-sex offending inmates mm-hmm. don't mix with them. Well, that's what happened at last week's case. Yeah. And that's how they fucking got together to... That's what? how they form these rings, yeah. isn't it? Cause they fucking paedophiles. Sorry. Yeah. Pedo rings. No. Makes me livid. Yeah. It's because they keep, they segregate and put all the pedos together and obviously that's not good but also it does stop all the violence in the mm. prison, most of the violence in the prison. So I suppose it makes life easier if you work there. So he would continually, so all the time he's there, he's continually warning the guards of this. He's begging for treatment to avoid more violence and he that he posed a major pre- threat to the other prisoners. However, all of his pleas for help were denied. Just don't know why. I think because it's the seventies, I suppose. There's just not funding. There's not yeah. the understanding of mental health that there is nowadays. But um, just to go off on a slight tangent here, did you watch that new Jimmy Savile documentary? I haven't. No. Thing that's come out this week. I've seen it. Yeah. So the BBC have made a four part starting starring Steve Coogan about Jimmy Savile, who was quite a prolific sex offender in the UK um, in what the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, and he died. In 2011, and he um, he was he used to volunteer and do fundraising and stuff for Broadmoor Hospital. Um, and there's a bit in that where he's talking about you know how short staffed it is, the overcrowding in there, and things like that. That was during Margaret Thatcher's time. So that was at the early 80s. Yeah, he was saying, starting up pedo rings in there. I betcha. I wouldn't be surprised. No, I wouldn't be fucking surprised. <laughs> yeah, I think he was among like friends, wasn't he? Mm. In there, so. At the age of 25, Robert was now desperate for help and he formed a plan. He took a spoon, another spoon, and began to fold down the sides on the concrete floor of his cell until it became sharp enough to cut. On the 28th of July, 1978, he stood at his open cell door as the prisoners filed past on the way out to the exercise yard. He stood and watched, waiting to spot a deviant who he could lash out at. So I think they know mm-hmm. if someone's, you know, what they're in prison for. Mm-hmm. Um he spotted forty-six-year-old a man, a forty-six-year-old man called Solney Darwood. Weird name, isn't it? Solney, S-A-L-N-E-N. Yeah. I've never heard that name before, but Solney Darwood, who was a convicted sex offender who was serving a life sentence for killing his wife Blanche. So he'd raped and murdered his wife. So he's not a very nice man. No. Uh, Robert was having to be on friendly terms with Darwood, who taught him French lessons in the prison. But at that moment, he would do. So. 
Robert has invited Darwood inside his cell and once inside he kicked the door shut and he struck. He swiftly attacked the older man, stabbing him repeatedly in the back, neck and head and he soon subdued him. So he was so quick with his attack, no one even heard that it was a shovel like or, a or a promotion. Like a, like a ninja, yeah. like a prison ninja, like a spoon ninja. Spoon ninja. <laughs> Chuck his spoon. <laughs> <laughs> he then strangled him with a piece of string until he was dead and then he hid the body under his bed. He cleared all the blood up of himself and out of the cell and he moved on to the next part of his plan, murder number two. Oh, God. Morsley then spent the rest of the morning trying to find other people to lure back, but no one would go with him. They could all see the madness in his eyes, said one. You know, you're like, well, oh, that's hindsight. Mm. You know, did, haven't, haven't they all got madness in their eyes? You know, yeah. <laughs> probably they're all homicidal, aren't they? Yeah. Um, anyway, so he unsuccessfully stalked the exercise yard looking for a victim, but realised that this plan was not going to work with so many witnesses. Leaving the yard, he wandered the prison wing for his next victim, carrying the shiv with him. He noticed 56-year-old William, in brackets Bill, Roberts, asleep in his cell. Perfect. This man was a convicted pedo who had been jailed for sexually assaulting a seven-year-old little girl. Robert crept into the cell. Um, the voices screaming in his head, seeing only the face of his abusive parents. Oh, just got to move my page down a little bit. Sorry, my mouse wouldn't work tonight. He hacked at Robert's head and neck with the makeshift knife, and even when Bill awoke and began to try and fight him off, Robert just continued with the frenzied assault until he was dead. This, however, wasn't enough to satisfy him, and he repeatedly smashed the dead man's head against the wall of his cell. Mm. So he's so angry. He's got so, so right. much rage in yeah. him. Yeah. This is the second man in like what the space for a few hours, and he's just going absolutely crazy. When he was sure that Roberts was dead, he calmly walked into the wing office, like the officer's wing, mm -hmm. placed a serrated homemade knife on the desk and informed the guards that they would be too short when it came to the next roll call. This final attack would take Robert Morsley into the category of serial killer, having now killed four people. Unusually, he became a serial killer while in prison. That is madness, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And this is my view, I believe... It made a mockery of the prison system, and that's why he's been made an example yeah. of and has been treated so I harshly. Agree. I agree. Because they they've thrown the book at him, mm -hmm. haven't they? Mm -hmm. Which is going to be the next part of Yeah, because he I'm showed them all about. up. Yeah. yeah, he has showed yeah. them all up, and they, they're not going to deal with that. It reminds me a little bit of... Um, do you remember years ago, there was all riots and stuff in London, and then mm -hmm. it spread all over the country? Yeah. And people that were looting and that, they've really got harsh prison yeah, sentences, and it's because you're rocking, you're trying to rock the system. Yeah. And they really do. They clamp down so harsh mm -hmm. on that. If mm -hmm. you just shoplifted on a normal day, you probably would get a fine. Yeah. But if you'd done it on that day, you got thrown into prison, didn't you? And have a criminal record first. But you got life. ten tellies out of it, so. <laughs> <laughs> How many tellies can you carry under your arm? <laughs> I don't know. You've got a big jacket, oh, big pockets. <laughs> Lauren's got very long arms <laughs> and fast legs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So his defence team tried to make the court see that Robert was himself was a victim and Robert even took to the stand to talk about his abusive childhood and explain about how he saw his parents' faces when he carried out the murders and the court was implored to allow Robert to access the psychological treatment that he so desperately needed mm -hmm. and had needed for his whole life. He wasn't a cold-blooded killer, he just wanted to erase the faces that had tormented him. Amen, sister. Yeah, but despite his pleas for help, he was yet again ignored and in 1979 he was sentenced to a lifetime of solitary confinement, denied any treatment at all and he was now regarded as the most dangerous man in England. 
He was tried and convicted of double murder and was inexplicably sent back to Wakefield, Wakefield Prison, Monster Mansion. Mm-hmm. Unable to mix with the others for his and their safety, he was moved into solitary confinement and has remained there ever since. Morsley's frenzied rampage meant he could no longer be considered an ordinary prisoner. Now deemed too dangerous to remain among the general prison population, work began on constructing a special cell for Maudsley in the bowels of Wakefield Prison. A special glass-fronted cell was created for him in the basement of the prison, a strange self-enclosed world which bears an uncanny resemblance to Hannibal Lecter's dungeon in the movie Silence of the Lambs. So this is where the whole Hannibal the Cannibal nickname comes from. Yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. Morsley's taste for classical music and art have added to the lecturish reputation. I looked it up and Robert Harris was the author of Science of the Lambs and that book was published in 1988. So who knows, maybe Robert Morsley was the inspiration for. I thought he might be. Yeah. When I read the research, that's exactly what I thought. So all this happened a good five years Mm -hmm. before that book was published. Obviously, we don't know when he wrote the book. He may have wrote it and sold it for a few years, but I think there's quite a lot of um, similarities. Definitely. By 1983 the prison was ready. The cell was dubbed the glass cage as it was so similar to the prison Hannibal Lecter had kept in Science of the Lambs. It's only five and a half metres by four and a half metres. Fucking hell, that's small. And has huge bulletproof windows which prison office can watch Maudsley through. The only furniture is a table and a chair which are both made of compressed cardboard. His toilet and sink are bolted to the floor. His bed is a concrete slab and the door is made of solid steel which opens into a cage just inside. The cage is encased in thick see-through acrylic panels and has a small slit at the bottom through which the guards pass Robert his meals and other items that he needs. He has no privacy as the guards can observe him from all angles through the perspex walls and it was clear that this cell had been built to break him. Yeah. It sounds like a torturous place to live to me. It really, that is horrific. Like, give the guy a mattress for fuck's sake. It's so horrible, isn't it? Sounds cold as well, isn't really, it? It's in the basement. Really cold. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it, do you know how long a meter is? It's that long. I'll put it on social media from my fingertip to my armpit. Have you measured Obviously. it? Is it that, yeah, because yeah, I have meter. to use it in my, that's my oh, meter. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. So four of them. That yeah. ain't big. It's small. It's about the same size as this studio that we're in at the moment. Apparently, it's bigger than a standard cell, but obviously, he has to be in it all the time. <laughs> Whereas, if you're in a standard cell, you get yeah. to mingle, don't you? you can go yeah. into the like, into the communal areas and yeah. stuff, and go and take a break. But he's in there 24 hours a day. Jesus he's God. only freed for an hour of exercise, and he's escorted to the exercise yard by six guards, and he's never allowed any contact with any of the other inmates. And I think he just shuffles around for an hour and then goes back. It sounds like wow. I mean, why they bothers keeping him alive? God knows, just no. to punish him, probably. Yeah. Um, in the documentary that I watched, only his family are allowed to visit him. His brother Paul, like his older brother, mm-hmm. the one who was going to get adopted back back all them years ago, mm-hmm. and his nephew Gavin. Um, the view of the family is that he is a vigilante and that he should have treatment to help him with his violent urges. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> so no one sort of like holds him accountable, or I think they'll still love him and everything. They're supportive of him. In 1991, for no apparent reason, he was transferred to Parkhurst Prison, which is on the Isle of Wight, mm-hmm. which is a like a lovely sort of holiday destination off the south coast of England. Um, he was still in solitary, and understandably, he was completely miserable. His voice had stopped working properly because he weren't talking to anyone or talked to. He had a long, straggly beard, sunken eyes, and obviously very pale skin. 
During his stay at Parkhurst, Morsley met psychiatrist Dr Robert Johnson, who, after going through quite a lot of red tape, he was finally permitted to start treatment for the infamous Maudsley. At first, Robert was reluctant to trust the doctor, Mm -hmm. but eventually um, Robert did begin to open up and through the counselling sessions, his mental health began to improve. Dr Johnson encouraged Robert to confront his father by imagining that his father was in the chair in the cell and then telling his father how he felt using words instead of violence. So imagining his dad was in the room and his dad Mm -hmm. was about to give him a pasting like he used to always, Mm -hmm. but saying, Dad, no, stop, instead of fighting him off. So he's encouraging that kind of thing. And I've heard that before. Do you remember when we did our episode about Joseph Mengele, Mm -hmm. the Nazi doctor? One of the women who was, um, she was one of the children that he experimented on. They encouraged her to do the same, even though by then he'd died. She wrote everything down in a letter Mm -hmm. that she wanted to tell him, Mm -hmm. including I forgive you. Yeah. And it it did get rid of so many of her demons. It offers that closure that is so important in, trauma I think yeah I agree it did really remind me of that yeah 100% yeah so the doctor believed he was making great progress with counselling and that they were about three quarters of the way through removing the aggression and the latent violence that made Maudsley such a danger and Dr Johnson was confident that if he could complete treatment Maudsley would no longer be a danger to others especially even the sex offenders anyway but then without warning the treatment was cut off and Maudsley was moved back to Wakefield I can't imagine how he must have felt that this would have been a devastating blow to Robert, even though he was sent to Woodhill Prison where he could have access to other people. He could play chess and even mingle with fellow inmates. Mm. So even though he was cut off from the counselling and the treatment that he was really doing well with, at least he was sent back to a different prison where he wasn't kept in solitary. Yeah. Yeah. I think they kept a close eye on him and that, but he was allowed to like, play chess with the guards and stuff. So yeah. it sounds like an improvement. <clears throat> Maybe because he'd showed such good progress, they started to trust him a bit more. Yeah, that could be, yeah. Yeah. But then abruptly, in 1999, officials decided that he was too dangerous to live in such lax conditions and he was once again sent back to his glass box cell at Wakefield. What the fuck? Oh, my heart just cried out for him at this point in the story. I know I know, you shouldn't weep for convicted killers, but can you imagine how devastating that would have felt to him? Um, yeah, it's fucked up. Yeah, so at this point in the year 2000, Robert is by now age 46, and he petitioned the courts to have his solitary confinement relaxed, arguing that he no longer posed any threat to the other prisoners or the guards. His request was rejected. In despair, he actually wrote to the press that he was being kept inhumanely and he even asked for a pet budgie. And then he said if that was refused, then he requested a cyanide capsule so that he could end his life. His requests were denied and Morsley would spend the rest of his life alone in his glass box underneath the prison. Dr Johnson even tried writing to Robert, but he only ever received one letter back. And that letter contained three words, all alone now. He'd given up all hope. He gained the new nickname, the Wolfman of Wakefield, when he refused haircuts and shaves for years and years on end. And I picture him now. Um, have you ever read or seen Treasure Island, that old yeah, book? Yeah, yeah. There's a man who's been marooned for years called Ben Gunn and he's mad about cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, and obviously he's been marooned, so he's got a straggly yeah, hair and beard. And yeah. I just thought, I bet he looks like Jane Gunn. Yeah. Uh, not Jane, Ben Gunn. I bet he looked like Ben Gunn. Just, I don't know, something popped in my head. Yeah, yeah. Um, in an interview, Maudsley said that he felt tormented in solitary confinement. He explained, there is a lack of hope and I don't appear to have anything to look forward to. 
I feel no officer takes any interest in me and they're only concerned with when to open the door and then to get make sure I get back in my cell as soon as possible. I think an officer could stop and talk a bit, but they never do, and it's these thoughts that I think about most of the time. Morsley claimed his time in solitary confinement was having an impact on his speech and he was no longer able to speak clearly through lack of contact. He added... I see this in part as going back to my childhood and going back to the room where I was detained for six months and that torments me. In a desperate attempt for company in 2000, he begged for the terms of his prison to be relaxed. So um, his brother Paul says, as far as I can tell, the prison authorities are trying to break him. Every time they see him making a little progress, they throw a spanner in the works. Oh, sorry. It's all right, they're just fuckers, Um, aren't they? I think that's what's happening, don't you? Yeah, I do. I really do. Um, he spent a time in Woodhill Prison. See, he proved himself there, didn't mm-hmm. he? He was getting on well with the staff, playing mm-hmm. chess. He had access to books, music and television. And now they've put him back in the cage at Wakefield. His trouble started because he got locked up as a kid. All they do when they put him back there is bring all that trauma back. Morsley himself agreed. All I have to look forward to is further mental breakdown and possible suicide. In many ways, I think this is what the authorities hope for. That way, the problem of John, Robert John Mosley can easily be resolved. The prison authorities see me as a problem and their solution has been to put me into solitary confinement and throw away the key to bury me alive in a concrete coffin. It doesn't matter to them whether I'm mad or bad. They do not know the answer and they do not care, just as long as I'm kept out of sight and out of mind. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In recent, in more recent years, it's been reported that Morsley spends his time um, contently playing video games. He's got a PlayStation 2 now and a television. And he does write letters to his friends and family. He's much better now that he's outlived most of the wardens who hated him, said his nephew Gavin. So maybe some of the wardens had a bit mm. of a grudge because mm-hmm. he did it on their watch, maybe. Is what I can think. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Ultimately, what makes Maudsley most unique among serial killers is that he can be seen as more tragic than evil, a man driven to terrible acts, solely against sex offenders and other criminals, by the very real demons of his past. As he once said, when I kill, I think I have my parents in mind, and if I'd have killed my parents in 1970, none of these people need have died. If I had killed them, i.e. my parents, then I would be walking around as a free man without a care in the world. He's right. If he'd have just murdered his yeah. parents when he was a youngster, he probably would have got 10 years or something, yeah. wouldn't he? Yeah, Robert is now, and um, and I'm oh, 70, I think. He's about 70, and he spent the majority of his life in glass, in a glass cage. 
He recently hit the headlines again as he gains the dubious honour of becoming the longest serving prisoner in solitary confinement. 45 years of it. However, a prison service spokesman said, there is no such thing as solitary confinement in our prison system. Some prisoners will be segregated if they pose a risk to others, but this is reviewed regularly. Like other prisoners, they are allowed time in the open air every day, visits from relatives, phone calls, access to legal advice and medical care. That's other prisoners, not him. Talking shit. Well, how does he explain that bloody coffin, which That's basically what is what it is that they've built for him? He's it's saying other prisoners. He's talking shit. It's terrible, isn't it, the way that he's been treated? Awful. A really, really maddening. Really maddening. Did you have a few um, stats and stuff on prisons? And well, whatnot? yeah, well, we was, you know, I keep likening it to the case last week. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about reoffending. The reoffending in sex offenders mainly. Mm. Uh, or just reoffending, it gets my goat. Yeah. Every time we do cases, however often or not, they're reoffending. They're already in the system. They're, they're in the system, yeah. they've done something, and it's just escalated, escalated, escalated. Yeah. There's no reform, I believe, in prison. Mm. And when we had like Sean Atwood on, he said this of America, didn't he? It's like a vicious circle. You do the crime, you go to prison, you do the drugs in prison to get through it. Mm. You come out. You're craving you the drugs, drug you're a drug addict. Mm. So then you get put back in and it's that vicious cycle. And it's the same here. There's no um, rehabilitation, I don't believe. Mm. I don't believe like there's no rehab for these guys and girls. or They haven't got... If he gets the psychic... Psych, not psychic, I'm so sorry. Psychiatric. Psychiatric care that they need, surely it's enough to break that circle. It mm. fucking... Like, let me read you these stats. Let yeah. me tell me what you think, right? So, the stats of reoffending: seventy-five percent of released prisoners are reoffend up to nine years after. Seventy-five percent. Forty percent will be in the first year. Wow. But I did look. I had to delve deep, and I had to do a lot because on the government website, it's twenty-five percent, thirty percent of mm. reoffending. Bullshit. I call bullshit on that. Yeah. Big time. So some 90% of the... Oh, so this was in 2012. Sorry, this is where I dug my stuff up. So some 90% of those sentenced in England and Wales have offended before. And almost a third of these had committed or were linked to 15 or more crimes. 90% cares. The last figures show that almost 40%, uh, 46% of adults jailed last in that last year had at least 15 previous convictions or cautions. Some 38,000 offenders overall. That's Mm. a fucking lot. In 2001, fewer than 30% of those sent to jail had the same number of previous convictions. So I've said about Sean Atwood and all that. So... The system isn't working and the system's broken. Reoffending cost the taxpayer 18 million in dollars. Hmm. <laughs> no, it's just a lot of cash, isn't it? Yeah, prison can't be, million. can't be cheap to run. But no, that, that's just reoffending. That's not just that's not first time offenders. So how much of that 18 million hmm. could we then put into rehabilitation instead and the psychiatric needs and hmm. stuff that actually helps prisoners yeah i don't know so with 80 percent offenders having previous again 80 percent they're high figures but does really, that mean really that high. they've been prison before 
because it just because they were offended don't mean that they did that they cautions. got cautions. No, it yeah. could be cautions. It could be community service. Community service. Fines. It could be fines. Mm. But again, instead, let that community service be some sort of counselling as well as mm. like it doesn't. Well, he just like it so passionate about it. Yeah. So researchers have found a number of individual factors such as age, gender, and the strength of social bonds associated with reoffending. Apparently, the younger you are, the more likely you are to reoffend, which I think is a given. Yeah. Because as you get older, you can't be fucked. Mm. I ain't gonna go and sell them ten to ten. At least I'll just steal the one. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's true. You just yeah. You 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 can't be you, the older you get. Life's too short. Yeah, you get probably just a bit more, yeah. maybe a bit institutionalised mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I was looking at a lot of the things and they had a lot of um, races in these statistics. I didn't really want to bring race to the table, but there's not a lot in it. Mm. There's not a lot in this reoffending. Every race is as bad as one another. Yeah. In reoffending, there's there's no there's not a lot in the percentage. Same, I think men are more likely to reoffend than women. Mm. I think women kind of learn their lesson quickly. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, so that was a bit of a... But yeah, it's just between a third and a half of new receptions to prisons are estimated to be a problem drug users. Mm. So um, a third is quite a lot. And that's the drug problems, what I was talking to you about. You can get drugs easy in jail. Funny enough. In the UK? In the UK, Mm. yeah. Yeah. Because I know Sean said how easy it was in America, but I don't know about it over here. I have a friend, God love him, um, an old friend, and we used to go and visit him in prison. He got addicted to heroin whilst in prison. Wow. Um, What prison was it? He came clean. uh, I think it was a halfway. You know, like um, Susie Lampaloo's, it was like a... Category C prison, is it? What, an open prison? Open prison, that's it. Yeah. So he was getting... Heroin mm. mailed to him. Oh, okay. Fuck me. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, that's shocking, right. right? Yeah, shocking. I thought they checked all the mail. Yeah, so did I. So yeah, that that that's just a little insight, like to that. Mm. You can get drugs in prison. You can. Yeah, it's just that vicious circle that something's got to give somewhere. Something needs to break. So, being employed is shown to be. Um, associated with reduced reoffending, so mm. I get that being an upstanding community member, yeah, and gi- being given a chance, mm. being given something, yeah, I get that. I really get that mm. because you need then change. You want then change, and yeah, you want to be able to like s- yeah support yourself, don't you? 100%. Without having to, you know, revert back to crime. A hundred percent. But um. But I think, I mean, the drug thing, I'd like to park that for a minute because mm-hmm. the the thing that me and you get really wound up about is when you get sex offenders reoffending yeah. and released back in the community mm-hmm. and then they'll progress mm-hmm. from that in murder. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, why have you let them out? Yeah. <laughs> They're obviously dangerous. Mm-hmm. You kept Robert in for all of his natural yep. life. You can do it. Yeah. And to be fair, he's only a danger to them sort of people. <laughs> yeah. And as I've said last week, once we recorded a stop, I hold my hands up. I was like, give me a fucking rusty saw and a vice and <laughs> yeah. castrate the fuckers. Yes, because last week's episode was about the um, the pedos, wasn't mm-hmm. it, who murdered that little... Daniel Hanley, Dan- yeah. Danny, yeah. Yeah. 
And um, they'd already been in prison for doing exactly the exactly same thing. The so same why thing. on earth did they think these pe- men were safe to be released? They wasn't safe and they wasn't rehabilitated. And as you said, there are some people that in their head, that is just their... Mm. They, they can't help it. No. They were born like they're that. They're wired that way. Yeah, they're wired that way. But surely they should be... They should have compulsory treatment. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. out of those three men that, in, that was involved in that case last week, one of them was overcoming his unnatural mm-hmm. urges, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Through counselling and therapy, and he was mm-hmm. working really hard on himself. The other two didn't want to know, so they didn't go. And no. it's like, well, surely you should go back and straight he, into prison. He was saying to him, I'm worried they're going to re-offend. Yeah. I'm worried they're going to do something terrible. Yes. He he had that calling, mm-hmm. and he was really... Oh, but was, then I think maybe mm. as well, this was that was in the 90s, so yeah. hopefully, we don't know, but that was 30 years ago, maybe... Yeah. Things that may have improved. Maybe they've got mm. more funding and stuff since then. So hopefully. Yeah. But I, I do I do doubt it because I heard in the news this week that prisons are have become so overcrowded that they're gonna start releasing yeah, low offenders like low mm-hmm. risk offenders. But in that in that category they included sex offenders. Yes, exactly. And who do, how dare they get to say what's low risk? I think that should be open for a debate and mm. to be kind of voted upon. Yeah. Who thinks what is a low risk? Sex offending is definitely not a low risk in it's my a eyes. Very high like high violent crime. A hundred percent and it's really mm. high in reoffending. Yeah. It's Unless you really, really high. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So. Anyway, yeah. Sorry, so, I, no, when I'm passionate, I go. Yeah, like, yeah, it yeah. just, yeah, they need to change the system. The system's broken. I don't think it's a safe system. It's to not. To be quite honest. It's not. Um, yeah, I don't know. We've got some other cases coming up during this series, and mm-hmm. we'll see why we can say that. But obviously, yeah, the one we did last week, Danny, mm-hmm. is a prime mm-hmm. example of why that is not safe to no, let people like that not. out because they're not safe. It's not. Anyway, so. I, last night, because it's getting up to Halloween, I thought I'd watch a horror. Nice. So I thought, I know, let's watch a Kevin Bacon horror, because he's made loads. So I started to watch Stir of Echoes. Oh, I don't it. know, it's not very good. I oh, didn't finish it. B-movie. But I thought, right, I know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to finish watching this film. No. I'm going to do a Six Degrees. Nice. So, here we go, listeners. It's the first one I've done in quite a long time. So what we do is we pick our subject matter. So today's is Robert Morsley. And we need to get from Robert Morsley to the lovely actor Kevin Bacon in six steps or less. K to the B. It's going to be quite easy, obviously. It's an obvious one. So, first of all, we start with Anthony Hopkins, who played Hannibal Lecter, <laughs> yeah, in Silence of the Lambs. Yep. <laughs> His co-star, Jodie Foster. Oh, She's great. I love, love her. her. Yeah. Tallulah. Yes. I know, I was trying to think of a Bugsy Malone, but I couldn't. Um, anyway, so Jodie Foster starred in a really good film called Panic Room. Yes! It's brilliant, isn't it? Panic Great Room. film, yeah. yeah. Uh, with Jared Leto. Showing! <laughs> <laughs> Jared Leto is in Fight Club with oh, Brad Pitt, and Brad God. Pitt is in Mystic River with our lovely Kevin Bacon. Well, well, well done. <laughs> How fit is Brad Pitt? Yeah. In Fight Club. I know, he's just off that the body scale. I know. In Fight Club is the best body I think I've ever mm. seen in my whole life. Even though he's covered in cuts and bruises throughout oh. the whole film, I think it adds to the allure. Someone that we had on, I think it was Charlie, said she loves him in Snatch. Yeah. When he's all shaggy oh, yeah. and Irish. Oh, I love him in that. Do yeah. you? Yeah. No, I don't. I don't. Yeah. I feel like you do need a bit of a wash. <laughs> but in Fight Club now, yeah, he's great, Flight, yeah. Flight, Flight Club, <laughs> Fight Club, 
Yeah, haba haba. Habana habana. Mm-hmm. So there we are, lovely listeners. Thank you for tuning in, listening to episode four. Thanking you. We hope that you've enjoyed it. And um, before I sign off, I'd just like to thank you all for listening. I'd like to um, deeply thank you from the very bottom of my heart for downloading, listening, and enjoying our podcast. And um, we're on all the social medias at Blue Murder Club, so please come and say hello, have a little chat with us. We're always open to that, aren't we? We are. We love it. I'll just sit there chatting away, chat your ears off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like I'm doing yeah, now. Yeah, pop over. If you're enjoying the pod, please recommend us to your friends and your family, anyone um, anyone who likes podcasts or true crimes, got yeah. interest, they might enjoy some of our episodes. We've got quite a large back catalogue now, haven't we? We have. Bits and pieces to go through. Um if you wouldn't mind giving us a nice five-star, a juicy five-star review. Thumbs it up. does help to drive the numbers and gets more people listening. And here's lovely Lauren to tell you a little bit about our Patreon. Yeah, so over on our Patreons, we do the weird and wonderful. We've had some really good ones. Um, I think by now released is... Um, ghost Ships. Ghost Ships and the Highway Man. Dick Turpin. Dick Turpin, that's the one. <laughs> we did I'm, a saucy one about the Marquis de Sade. Oh, that was a great one. I loved that I one. I love all the dark stuff, so I do like the Marquis de Sade. And I've done one about torture. You name it dark, I love it. You all What's about... What's your Kaz? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I might need to do a whole other genre of podcasts. Mine's all about daydreams and rainbows. <laughs> and on that, listener, we will sign off and wish you a very lovely week. And we'll be back next time. Adios, amigos. 